Well, there's a certain amount of truth that certain qualifications are required of a counselor. At the risk of boring a couple of you who have heard this story before, I had my comeuppance early in my experience as a counselor. Another reason why perhaps that you will listen to a talk that's confined to a reasonable length of time. When I first came to Hazelden as a counselor, I was a little impressed with the position. It's not easy to crack that Hazelden League as far as counseling is concerned because Mr. Butler's requirements are very, very rigid. And uh, Mr. Carroll, of course, who is the old master, the my mentor and the mentor of so many of us, has his own particular qualifications that he insists that somebody who's going to assist him possess. Anyway, I convinced the two of them that I was ideal. So I moved in there, and the first couple of weeks went by fine. Everything was going well. I was devoting myself most diligently to my work. I was a good listener. I was reading. I was doing my best to further my progress and to be of the utmost service to the people that I served. One day, as we were changing tours of duty, Lynn said to me, the end of the life of Hazelden is coming your first real test. He says, a very, very much of a broth of a lad called Murphy. He says, we call him Junior, and you'll understand when you see Murphy. Murphy is a man who has had a problem in his life since he was 15 years old. And Murphy is no easy touch, he says. He's something for you really to cut your teeth on as a counselor. And he began to tell me about the difficulties experienced by this broth of a lad, Murphy. I met Murphy. I could see nothing untoward about the boy. He had a fair size to him, about six foot three, and a weight to go with it, shoulders that would have been impressive in a Notre Dame line, all this sort of stuff, the ham-like hands and so forth, but a naivety, a very much of a boyishness about him. He, at the time, was celebrating his 21st birthday there at Hazelden. And I said to Murphy, I'm happy to know you. He said, I'm happy to know you, too, in a base so profundo. And we began our, our uh, mutual acquaintance, our, our association as, as a client, uh, or patient, as sometimes are referred to, and counselor. Murphy uh, sat right at my right hand in the meeting room. Murphy paid me undivided attention. Murphy seemed to hang on my every word. When I would make some impressive point, or what I thought was an impressive point, Mr. Murphy was wont to nod in agreement. And if I decried something, Murphy's head would shake in profound disagreement also. So I thought, this is uh, no trouble. It's either no trouble or you come underrated as a counselor. Perhaps you should have discussed this salary arrangement a little more thoroughly before you rushed into this particular thing. Actually, uh, it's not as uh, severe a task uh, as uh, you were led to believe. Anyway, Murphy and I went, uh, went along in our little uh, learning association very, very swimmingly, very, very pleasantly. Until one night, I happened to find myself a, a topic or two ahead of the cycle as far as lectures were concerned, and I decided to indulge myself, as every embryonic ham is wont to do. I decided to have myself a field day. I was going to spread myself a little bit. I was going to impress these people. Murphy was in his accustomed place at my right, and Murphy was in fine fettle, as was your blue-eyed Norwegian Jacobson. And I started to hammer at home, boys, and there was a hush in the room, because Murphy was leading the cheering in a quiet way. He was nodding vehemently, and he was shaking his head, and he was going through the gestures that led a certain emphasis to these things I was saying. I thought, brother, this kid is no problem, either that or, as they say, you're long overdue as a counselor. And uh, I began to uh, embellish this thing of, of, of my talk. Anyway, the meeting went on. I took uh, some extra time uh, to indulge myself further in this euphoria that I was a part of. And as long as uh, I had to presumed on their time, I decided to call the discussion period uh, a little short. So at the time as we got up to leave the room, Murphy got up with me. And instead of walking out right uh, to, the, to the right of my accustomed uh, place, as I was accustomed to do, I walked the length of the room so I could enjoy, enjoy this adulation a little longer. Uh, Murphy walked with me the length of the room. He had his big uh, ham-like hand on my shoulder, and he was patting my back, and he was nodding vehemently and looking at me with sort of an awe. I thought to myself, well, don't break down till we get outside. <laughs> we got down to the end of the room, just about to leave, and as I said, Murphy's voice was a thing to behold. It would be something that would really be more fitting in a bosun's mate first out on one of the ore boats here than any place else. 
We got to the end of the room, and Murphy and I paused. Murphy gave my shoulder another little extra squeeze, and he patted me on the back. And in a sort of a whisper, he said to me, a whisper that you could hear for the length of the room, he says, God, you are a windy bastard, aren't you? Counted that story to Pat Butler, and he says, You're, he's right. He says, Junior was absolutely right. A man can say everything that he knows inside of a half hour. Well, so be it. <coughs> Tonight, I'm going to talk about something a little different. At least I've never heard it discussed over much by a speaker addressing a group like this. We're always wont to talk about the benefits, the rewards, the things that accrue as a result of an intelligent, uh, intelligent type of association with AA. Most of us, as we tell our stories, are inclined to indulge in something like this. I was there on my bed of pain. My wife was disgusted. My boss was completely fed up with me. All the devils in the world were indulging in high holiday inside of my head. Life was bleak. Life was difficult. Everything had come to smash in my particular life. Finally, my wife said, you've tried everything. Now will you let me call AA? So I said, yes. Yes, I would have said yes to anything. So she called AA, and two fellows called on me. They came in the room, and these two men, you've met them before, who came into the room are invariably the most clear-eyed citizens that were ever created. These people have a steadiness. These people have an integrity. These people have a character that just shines through. These people are so outstanding, uh, they're oftentimes noxious when they come into a sick room. Anyway, the story always starts like that, and it goes on by a man saying, they asked me to come to my first AA meeting. I came to this meeting. I sat with this group. I looked around. I saw these people who said that they had the same problem. They'd gone through the same things that I'd gone through. They'd uh, associated together. They learned 12 steps. Uh, they became a part of 12 traditions and so forth. And there was a sudden change in my life. Everything began to develop. Everything began to make sense. Everything turned out fine. From that time on, no difficulty. No difficulty. Every time I hear that, I'm inclined to think of my little friend Jane, who was a very precocious youngster. Jane was in a class of kids of which she was easily the star. At the end of the school year, the teacher decided to have an essay contest. They were all to enter their essays that were to be written right there in the classroom within the time limit and handed in. Jane, of course, sat down and began to dash hers off uh, in the usual fashion, and very little thought, uh, giving evidence of the supreme brilliance that was hers and so forth. But on this particular day, she stopped. And she said, what did you say the subject of this essay was to be again? And the teacher says, this brave, new, beautiful world and my part in it, my place in it. Jane says, yeah. She thought some more, wrote some more. Finally, the teacher sounded the warning. She said, there are only three or four more minutes, children. She can finish up her papers. Jane sat there and continued to chew her pencil and look down her paper and chew her pencil and shake her head and became more and more frustrated. Finally, the teacher walked past me and said, Jane, are you having difficulties? She said, yes. I can't finish my paper. She said, I've, I've got the one word that stumps me. One word that stumps me. I... I can't finish, actually, without this. I can't express what I want to express as the conclusion of this essay without this word. The teacher said, well, don't fret about it, Jenny. She says, I'm sure that you've done a good job up till now. And she says, uh, finish it off and turn it in. Time's up. So Janie did. And this could be expected. Janie's paper was selected to be read as a model was the best example of, of uh, work in the class. The teacher began to read the paper, and she finished it, and she said, Janie, I don't see anything wrong with this particular paper. It's excellently done. Janie had written, this brand new world in my place in it. She says, in this brand new world, she says, on which I stand on the threshold, as she says, it's going to be a beautiful world. She says, brotherly love is going to be just that. It's not going to be anything, and not a mere committing of the golden rule in memory and so forth. It's going to be actual living of the golden rule. She says, all this creativeness that we have in the world is going to be expressed in things that will elevate our standard of living, and I'll be a, I'll be a part of it. She says people will no longer seek to take undue advantage of other people. People will live in harmony and peace. There won't be any 
power struggle between nations, nor will there be any power struggle as far as individuals in the community and so forth are concerned. There will be an understanding that's never existed. Then she carried on at great length, and the teacher was becoming more and more impressed. Finally, she came to the end of it, and she said, Jamie, this is marvelous. This is wonderful. She says, well, what is this word that you couldn't spell? And Jamie says, <laughs> it's been so long. It's been so long since I gave vent to a Bronx chair that I feel I should have had somebody with more capability as far as I do it. This is exactly my reaction as far as this overnight transformation that we go through. His Highness, His Highness put it so beautifully when he said that our friend here should receive some recognition for himself, and I am sure that our good friend here also is in accord with my thinking that there is plenty of work involved with self. You and I, when we first come to the necessity of AA, when we feel this uncontrollable thing taking place in our life, or that has rendered us, our lives unmanageable, our, that ourselves are, are, are rendered us powerless over liquor, you and I almost come with a franticness to AA, in spite of the fact that many of us were virtually dragged into it. You and I you think in terms of a release. We think in terms of getting this intolerable burden lifted from us summarily. You and I think in becoming in terms of, you think in terms of becoming recipients of all the benefits, the rewards, the things that evidently accrue in the life of a person who comes into AA. We were not unfamiliar, most of us, with AA and the people who joined AA. Uh, we saw the uh, 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 censure of their fellow men being lifted from them. Uh, we saw jobs being given back. Uh, we saw the restoration of family unity. We saw all these things and we liked what we beheld and wanted to have a very, very real part in this. You and I were the entire accord with the necessity of having AA in our particular lives. But I think so many of us came in with something that was entirely predicated on our present condition. So many of us came in very emotionally charged up. I think now those of us of you particularly, and even those of you who are perhaps sitting in attendance at your first AA gathering, do well to regard the need for coming into this program in a relaxed fashion. Not that I condone any indifference, not that I can condone any uh, just uh, 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 casual coming into this program, not at all. But you and I have to remember that we've been victimized by our emotions hitherto, and now on, from now on, it's going to be on the basis of a reasonable, intelligent, normal approach to life that we're going to achieve this thing that we seek so avidly in the, through the medium of AA. You and I hear the words and recite the words and make the words our acceptance, of course. I admit it that I'm powerless over alcohol. You and I think in terms of acceptance of the fact that we're powerless over alcohol and that as a result our life became unmanageable. But I think that you and I do well to think, is this the end result? Is this what we're hoping to achieve? If it is, we're prone to leave ourselves in the area of this first step. So many of us were prone to almost become virtually booze fighters as a result. I think that you and I are trying to achieve What's the, what the intent and purpose is contained in the 12th step, the first phrase, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And when we do this, will enable us to practice these principles in all our affairs and to carry the message of this marvelous thing that we've had accorded us in our lives to other people. It will enable us to live normal, reasonable, intelligent lives. And in so doing, there's work involved. And I think that you and I do well to sit down and with a calm, even a deadly type of deliberation, contemplate this work that's to be done. You and I are not joining an organization where we get a little card saying that we're entitled to the full benefits and privileges uh, by virtue of our carrying this particular card. You and I have to indulge in this tremendous effort, the greatest <coughs> strenuous effort of which we're capable on an individual basis. You and I come into AA, but we can't come in with the feeling that we're to be cataloged. We're unalike, all of us. This is, I think, is something that's of primary importance. We found this to be very, very true in our work at Hazelden. There is no such thing as a typical AA, and yet we're very prone to regard ourselves as, as our typical alcoholic. We're very prone to regard ourselves as typical. 
They say that there's certain characteristics that govern in our particular lives. They say that you and I have certain characteristics that virtually become our hallmarks because of this illness in our lives. And this has a semblance of truth. There's certain characteristics. We lack perseverance. We lack the ability to adjust as far as interpersonal relationships are concerned. We have a tendency to live exaggerated type of lives. We have a tendency to be unable to adjust as far as our personal uh, problems are concerned. We have a tendency to make mountains out of molehills. We have a tendency to be overly self-centered and so forth. But by and large, you and I bear this marvelous, unique uh, evidence of God's creation, each of us. And each of us has our own talents, our own capabilities, our own capacities that are exclusively and esoterically ours. You and I as we go through this thing of developing the AA way of life, as we go about seeking the goals that we seek, have to be convinced of this and have to make the sum total of our efforts predicated on this particular awareness and the development of this awareness in our lives. Nothing is typical as far as the alcoholic is concerned. And if you were to be engaged in my particular work for only the period of a couple of days, and the awareness of this would certainly be deep within you. For me to judge a person, try to relate them to another person, is almost a fatal thing to do. And I'm sure those of you who are engaged in similar work to mine are in agreement on this. Yet so many of us more or less catalog ourselves. So many of us are prone to predicate our, the efforts that we exert on the efforts that are being exerted in other people's lives. And to think of ourselves as being reasonable facsimiles of another life, and to think in terms that after we exert a certain amount of effort, after a certain amount of, of thought in certain directions is, is obtained in our lives, that uh, our results, the circumstances, situations that accrue are going to be uh, in keeping with what uh, has uh, come into these other lives. And this, I think, sets up an impossibility as far as the seeker after the things in his own life uh, is concerned. So there's a lot of effort, and it's a lot of individual efforts. I think the whole program of AA cries out uh, this particular truth. I think that you and I, from the time that we utter the words, I accept the fact that I'm powerless over alcohol, that my life has become unmanageable, we impliedly begin this effort if we've come into this program in a relaxed, intelligent fashion. I think that you and I recognize the fact that this problem is going to be with us forever. You and I have gone through the experimental stages. We, some of us, have had continuing trouble as far as AA is concerned. I went through four or five years of experiment, uh, experimentation myself, although I had a very definite type of end uh, result to be achieved. I, uh, uh, I wasn't so much uh, in disagreement with these things that I beheld in AA. Uh, it wasn't so much the need uh, for booze in my life, uh, but uh, I thought, uh, I suppose it's the presence of a very deep-seated uh, con within me, I thought I would take this AA way of life. I, I liked what I saw happening in other lives. I, I saw the success attending these people. I saw them receiving the things that I uh, wanted so de desperately to have in my particular lives and that I'd been denied as a result of my chronic alcoholism. I also liked this Jacobson method, which permitted a departure uh, from the straight and narrow, a little dalliance along the primrose path that was always enjoyable as far as I was concerned, a little release from the company of the squares on occasion and so forth. All this was highly desirable. So I thought, why not combine the two? Why not take this AA way of life, the Jacobson way of life, and come up with something that would transcend any other way of life that's ever been devised. Uh, this uh, certainly can't be any harm. I'll carry the card. I'll wear the badge. I'll give the talks. I'll be regular in my attendance at meetings. And uh, then I'll just have my little uh, drifting off into the Jacobson way when the going gets a little difficult and so forth. Nobody's going to talk to me about self-discipline. Uh, nobody's going to give me this reality jazz. Uh, who are they to tell to give me a definition of reality, some of these lives which are so obviously lacking uh, in things that would uh, render them capable of, of becoming definitive as far as reality is concerned. I sold myself a very attractive bill of goods, and at the end of five years, I was the most bloody, the most bitter, the most beaten down individual that you ever saw in your life, at least mentally and spiritually. So I have come to the uh, complete and sincere conviction that there's a lot of sincere work involved in this thing, that it isn't for free. I'm convinced that there's nothing in life for free. I'm convinced that it makes 
Uh, the best things in life for free makes an attractive title for a song, and that's as far as it goes. I think we have to earn the ability uh, to accept. We have to earn the ability to love again. We have to earn the ability to understand. We have to earn the ability to be grateful. We have to earn the ability to be a part of reality. All these things have to be earned. You and I, whether we recognize the fact or not, uh, sure, we're powerless over liquor and all this sort of stuff, but this physical area of our life is just one of these things that's bothering us. You and I have become virtually incommunicado as far as reality is concerned. And for a person to remove themselves so entirely from reality that they, uh, they return to reality virtually signals a return into a completely uncharted area. Uh, this represents work. And we find it, as I started to remark, in, in every step of AA. When we uh, come to believe that a power greater than ourselves will restore our lives to sanity, how much thought do we ever give to that uh, part of the step that says, uh, we came to believe? Most of us think in terms of an overnight conversion. And good Father Pat will, will tell you that this thing rarely happens. Hey, uh, we come to believe uh, this thing is still in my life. This is still in my life. This is a part of my great effort. I'm still coming to believe. I believe in Almighty God. I believe that it's only through His good grace that I am standing here tonight that I'm enabled to enjoy the type of life that I enjoy and so forth and so on. But the search for Him, the search for the entirety of this relationship between my God and myself has to go on apace with the days. It has to go on with my increasing knowledge. It has to go on with the more people like you that are coming to the can of my experience. So coming to believe isn't something that we do on a certain night that we hear this, the second step related at a meeting and become a part of it when we subscribe to it. Coming to believe is a lifetime of endeavor for me, and it represents a very, very serious effort. I don't uh, step on anybody's belief. I don't have to walk across and, and bother anybody in their creed. But it seems to me that just merely offering up these things to Almighty God, just merely tossing this as sort of a stop to Almighty God, isn't going to do it. There's got to be some work on the part of the individual, as most of you people will, will, will recognize and will agree with. I think that this coming to, uh, to believe will go on forever in my life, at least I hope so. The same is true when we come to this decision that at one time we made. Remember, we made this decision, we would have made a decision to turn this problem over to anyone. We made a decision to turn our will and our life over to God, as we understand it. We made a decision that has to be revitalized every day of our life, if it's going to be an authentic, if it's going to bear the stamp of genuineness. You and I should never witness the dawning of a single day in our life without revitalizing this decision that we made and making our life during that particular day a living confirmation of this decision. This decision finalized something in our lives. You and I freely admitted that we had lost the power to manage our own particular lives. But when we admitted that we had lost the power, uh, the power to manage our own particular lives, uh, certainly we didn't continue to think in terms of just throwing this to Almighty God in the form of a challenge or throwing it, uh, hoping for the expression of a miracle in our life or the revelation in our life or a bolt from the blue. No, it calls for a calm, intelligent, deliberate decision each morning of our life. This is the day that God has given me in order to further my life and make this thing more of a living, breathing, throbbing reality in my particular life. This decision that at one time was called forth by the necessity of an intolerable uh, life, a life that had become unmanageable, it's, it's heightened, its need is heightened this particular day when I can walk into the most beautiful day that God has ever presented for me, or I can make of it a shambles, representative of what my days used to be. This decision is to be daily revitalized. It calls for a lot of effort. A decision is never made willy-nilly. A decision always entails an intelligent uh, contemplation of the things that we seek for and what the decision is, uh, what, uh, is involved in the making of the particular decision. We don't do it just as a matter of caprice or just a, a prompted by whimsy at all. So many of us that uh, took it for granted. Sure, I'll, I'll make the decision. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it isn't enough. It might sound like a startling statement, but it isn't enough merely to believe in God for you and I. God has to be attainable. Now, I don't come with a satin robe around me, and I, you won't see me drift out of here on the cloud nine or anything like it. But I am a knuckle-headed Norwegian, and there is no more knuckle-headed characters in the world than a knuckle-headed Norwegian. 
Two and two has to make four, but you damn well better prove it to me. And when it came to this decision to turn my will and my life over to God, I had to have at least as much proof, I had to have as much uh, feeling of authenticity to this as I, I would have if I was going out to buy a new Buick or something. I don't go around making decisions just because it's suggested to me, just because some other joker makes a decision and so forth. This had to be reality to me. This had to be reality. I know nothing about theology. I know nothing about uh, a lot of a lot of uh, philosophy and ideology. But I do know what's required in the life of a person who has become completely removed from any semblance of reality in his life. And one of the things that's involved is a reconfirmation of a decision to turn that life quickly and completely and thoroughly and honestly, conscientiously over to God each day of my life. And then then walk and work and think, act that particular day as if everything depended upon me, as if everything depended on my utilizing the powers with which Almighty God endowed this particular life. Then you and I made a fourth step, remember? It was suggested to us that we avail ourselves of the second great dynamic as far as living is concerned. Man and the reality of the relationship of the man and his world is forever predicated on the, on the need for man to recognize his utter dependency on God and to recognize the need for a knowledge of himself and an ever-increasing type of knowledge. AA recognize this. You won't find it spelled out in any of the AA literature. But certainly they recognize it based on their own particular experience, based on their need, their, their desire to live. And this was their sole desire as they created this particular program. They worded it so potently and so beautifully in the words, a fearless and a searching type of inventory. You and I had been in agreement as far as inventories were concerned, as knowledge of self. You and I had read Carnegie books. You and I had read a lot of self-help books uh, prior to our entrance into AA. But these words, fearless and a searching moral inventory, imposed a new kind of obligation on us, didn't it? It took us away from the realm of just a cursory type of investigation of self, took us away from the superficial, and made it very, very necessary for us to indulge in some thorough soul-seeking, to look very, very thoroughly into this life that had permitted, and I use the word advisedly, permitted alcoholism to become a lifetime problem of this life. To see what type of a life would, almost with deliberation, uh, permit the accumulation of the defects, the shortcomings that added up to alcoholism. And this type of inventory goes on, as we find out when we come to the tenth step and we're required to continue this inventory, and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. This is a lifetime of endeavor. Not only is it necessary because of the fact of the defects, the shortcomings that were ours at one time, but you and I invite change in our life. You and I invite change in our life that are going to have a sort of a magnetic quality as far as a new type of defects are concerned. You and I will always be required to make a fearless and a searching moral inventory of ourselves. It isn't a part of a, of a present moment. It isn't a part of the need that's born of a distressing circumstance and situation as of the day when you uttered the words, I'm powerless over liquor, my life has become unmanageable. This is something that goes on for a lifetime. And there's so much work involved, the most strenuous effort of which we're capable. And the, the best application of this the intelligence, that's such a striking thing, incidentally, as far as the alcoholic is concerned. We admitted to God and to ourselves and another human being in the controversial oftentimes fifth step the exact nature of our wrongs. And you and I sometimes if we, when we contemplate this thing we contemplate what a potent instrumentality this fifth step actually becomes when we think in terms of its continuing use in our life. We don't just allocate this to the time that we originally made our fifth step. When these things were distressing on our mind, we felt the need to rid ourselves of these. We view it as a continuing potent instrumentality in our life. Because a man's complex nature will always invite distressing things in his mind. Man is always going to trend towards the complex. Man is always, apparently, going to question the will of God in his life. Man is forever going to set up deadlines against which God is expected to act. Man is forever going to question the manner in which God's will is affected in his life. Man is forever going to invite trouble in his life. He's always going to toy with these things. Man has a, almost a, a, a type of a, a sadistic attitude uh, towards himself. This is very, very common. We all have to understand it. It's a part of this knowledge of self. And you and I have, 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 have 
part of our great vulnerability possess something else. That's the most maddening thing in my particular life, and that's this tendency I think I'll forever have, a tendency towards self-deceit and self-delusion. I can trust anybody in this room far more thoroughly than I can trust myself. No lack of confidence, no lack of confidence whatsoever, no feeling of inadequacy, you have no nothing, but this is just a, as much of being aware of something as I am, the fact that I'm right-handed instead of left-handed. I have this tendency towards deceit and delusion that made my life at one time a living hell. And I invite, at unguarded moments, I invite the thinking that was very, very present in my life at these thoughts. I can walk out of here tonight, and if uh, my faithful Norwegian wife wasn't with me, uh, I can sell myself a bill of goods by the time I get down to Sandstone and be drunk as the Lord by the time I get to Forest Lake. Uh, I mean, it, it can work just that devastatingly and just that quick. Though this thing of the fifth step continues to go on. Every time that our life assumes proportions that we become uncomfortable with, every time incipient trouble is on the horizon, every time something becomes a little too bothersome for us to handle in the very, very... Uh, uh, with the, with the equipage that, uh, equipment that's presently ours, I think we do, we do well to indulge ourselves in another fifth step. Uh, there's nothing said about this fifth step being confined uh, to the time when the need for the original need for it was felt. And then certainly when we come to step six and seven, if we're thoughtful, if we're considered, if we're intelligent about this program, we're going to have some appreciation of the work that's involved on self. You and I professed ourselves in keeping with the marvelous and the crystal clear and the unequivocal type of logic that permeates this program. You and I became ready to have God remove these defects of character. There's things about this program that I'll forever stand in awe of. And that is one, one, one of the many things is the way that this thing, the spiritual undergirding of this program is confirmed in the sixth step. You notice it goes right to the core of the, of, the, of the problem, the admission of the defects in our lives that created the problem. And you notice the admission is the same as in the first step. We're powerless. We're powerless. Here we go through all the work that's involved on self. We admitted the problem. We admitted the need for God. We recognized that no human agency had done any sort of a capable job as far as sustained arrestment is concerned. We recognized the need for utilizing uh, this power greater than ourselves through the medium of the decision. We recognized the need to indulge in a fearless and searching moral inventory. We admitted the exact nature of our wrongs. Never forget the words exact nature of our wrongs. All the same, where are we now? We're right back again where we started that we become entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. And is this a matter of a, of, a, of a day? Is this a matter of two days? Is this a matter of a similar number of weeks or months or years? Hardly. A person does well to intelligently prepare himself each day by this day as a part of the offering up of the day to Almighty God, including his prayers, a prayer to have God remove these defects of character, and to humbly ask him, humbly. This word humbly used to bother me. It used to be a source of annoyance because I'd always associated a humble person with somebody that was impossibly monastically inclined. Or a humble person, in my way of thinking, was a person with round heels, somebody who was pushed around by his fellow men. I didn't like a humble person. I thought a humble person at best was a hypocrite uh, that wanted to remove himself from the push and pull of everyday living. A humble person, I was surprised to find out, was a very intelligent, courageous type of person. A humble person was a person who indulged himself in the acceptance of the truth in every area of his life. And an oddity from the Father uh, Pat will uh, appreciate. It came necessary for a Norwegian Lutheran to go to the life of a Catholic saint to dredge up that particular concept of, of humility. I range far and I work at this thing of appreciation of the terminology of AA. It tells us so much. The express meaning of every word of AA is so fraught with meaning that it's a job in itself to, 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 divide, to derive everything that there is to be derived from the study of AA. I'm devoted to, cam to camels. Uh, I was going to get a crash helmet. So we humbly asked Almighty God, we accepted the truth that if this thing was going to be brought into our life and it was going to be a sustained thing in our life and it was going to represent stark reality, it would come through the grace of God in our life. But it also represented something else. Again, we're sharply reminded that God has told us 
that we are not going to be given anything and Father Pat, I think I should warn you that I paraphrase scriptures in a fashion that's never been accomplished before. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've had bishops quail when I <laughs> sit there. I had one one night up in, 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 uh, in, Edna, in uh, uh, Sheridan, Wyoming. Sit there in the front row, just like that. He said, in all my years, all my, all my years, thank you. All my years, I've never heard anything to match it. But uh, you get the gist of it. Uh, that's all that matters. <laughs> Almighty God has promised us we're not going to be given anything in our lives beyond our power to overcome. He has promised us that our, for the requirements of our cross, for the requirements to, as far as carrying the burdens that he seems fit to put in our particular lives, that we're going to have the equipment with which to carry these. He's told us that if we'll take his particular yoke upon our necks, we'll find it light, that the burdens that he gives us we'll find light enough to carry. Now, the experience that have been a part of other lives have attested to the truth of this. Those of you who have seen people rise to the heights and give evidence of unbelievable courage, improbable people rising to the heights, you wonder oftentimes how a person can overcome some of these things that they do. You wonder at the amount of courage that, that, that apparently afforded these lives. You look upon them as people set aside, never realizing that every human being, every first fruit of God's creation is accorded the same type of blessing. But it's incumbent upon us to recognize this and to gratefully express this recognition into active participation in our day in a normal, reasonable, intelligent way. Not, we're not required to live a sacrificial life. None of us are required to become Nobel Prize candidates as far as living is concerned. Nobody expects you to be a paragon as far as living is concerned. All that's required of us is a normal, reasonable, intelligent way of life. So you and I, as we ask Almighty God to remove these defects of character, have to be aware of this. Have to be aware of the fact that we take up our particular cudgels each particular day. We go out to meet them today and we make a day and we set the circumstances, situations, and associations, they virtually belong to us and to our, our decisions, uh, to our, our morning. It's a part of uh, humbly asking Almighty God to remove these shortcomings. Nothing befalls a man who sits quietly at home and just offers up his prayer. Nothing befalls a man who just merely indulges himself in self-help reading and so forth. You have to get out and be about your master's work. You have to get out and be about it diligently and the, the utilization of all these marvelous talents and capabilities and capacities that you and you alone remember have been given. You and I might bear certain characteristics in common. They might look at us and say, those two guys have, certain, have a lot in common. They think a lot, they do this a lot, uh, they're even getting so they look alike because of their participation in the CAA program and so forth. But deep down beneath it, he and I are as like as uh, the same leaves on an oak tree. We have the fine nuances, we have the fine shadings in our talents, capabilities, and so forth. Has it ever occurred to you that there's a definite reason why there's only been one Joel Landry created? Never one before this present Joel Landry. There is not another Joel Landry in existence today, anywhere in this great creation of ours. There will never be another one or even a reasonable facsimile of Joel Landry created again. This tells us something. This poses a great obligation on us to develop these things, these things that are esoterically ours, these things that are individually ours, these things that Almighty God had in mind when he created this particular life and required that life, some particular fulfillment. We aren't just coming into an organization. We aren't just coming in seeking certain benefits and so forth. We aren't just coming in out of the rain. We aren't just coming in hoping for surcease from some present distressing circumstance or situation. We're coming in because we're intelligent people who finally, over long, in most of our cases, are coming to the realization that we have played fast and loose with some of the most priceless intelligence, talents, and capabilities that God ever invested human beings with. You and I have sought to depart from this particular reality. You and I found dissatisfaction with life as God would have it that uh, lived in our particular lives. And now we're becoming a part of the realization of how uh, uh, grinding this thing of reality can actually be, how unequivocal, how undeniable reality can be. And we're, we're giving into it. We're, we're obliging. 
we're all obliged to this, uh, to beat this, uh, to be a part of this, this recognition. So when you and I humbly ask God, Almighty God, to remove these shortcomings, it isn't just a matter of saying that did it. That that takes it. It's all up to Him now. Uh, I wish I had a dime for every person that's called me up to be witching hour at two o'clock in the morning. Usually on a winter morning when I have to go across the cold floor, go into another room to get the phone and have some man say, God has forsaken me. I thought you'd like to know. God has forsaken me. Uh, all these things that you peddle up at Hazelden, that's so much stuff. Uh, with your old proneness to exaggerate everything, you certainly exaggerated this. You told me that if I'd offer up the morning to Almighty God, if I'd offer up the day, if I'd pray for a day of sobriety, if I'd pray for a day in which his will was affected in my life, nothing would happen. I'd say, that's a loose construction of it, brother. Uh, tell me uh, what uh, went on in this uh, the, uh, day of yours, and he'll be will confess that this thing that's bothering him began a certain number of months before. That this thing is uh, gathering in intensity in this particular life, and on uh, this particular morning he chose to deliver our prayers with a newfound ardor a newfound degree of sincerity and everything, but it was a little late, a little late. And uh, the, 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 the thing of drink invariably overtook him, and this particular time it came out of the blue because he was so caught up in the cataclysm that he was unable to loose himself from that particular cycle. So when we humbly ask Almighty God to remove our shortcomings, let's be reasonable about it. But let's remember that there's certain, so many things that we can do ourselves. Our lives were restored to a semblance, at least, of sanity. We were uh, given the position, again, of being able to exercise a reasonable choice. And you and I were, can I, uh, exercise freedom of will again. You and I aren't compulsive any longer. Actually, when we look at it in stark reality, we're calling the shots from now on. You and I have become entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character and humbly ask him that we make a mockery out of these steps, unless this is fundamental with our approach to it. And uh, there are a couple little uh, things I think also that, uh, that we should contemplate. And I'm indebted again to a saint, as I always am, for some of the, some of the, the profound things that have come into my particular life. This man de Sales, St. Francis de Sales, one of the greatest Christians of all time. This man de Sales lived back in 1600, but he had an understanding of his fellow men that's never been exceeded. He had a compassion for him. The problems that were extant in those days are the same that exist in our particular days. There's different uh, modes of transportation, a different type of grog, a different type of this and that. Uh, no more, uh, no particular Chris uh, Keeler, but her uh, counterpart. All these things uh, existed uh, in that, uh, that particular day. And this man, DeSales, said it so beautifully when he said, make friends with your trials. You and I would like to have these things removed primarily. You and I would like to see tomorrow dawn the bright new day that Janie was so enthralled with. You and I would like to see the removal of all our problems and our terrors. We would like to see the people in our lives that undergo the same type of transformation, the same wonderful answer to their desires and their prayers affected as of tomorrow morning. It just ain't going to happen, pal. It just ain't going to happen. DeSales knew this in his day, and he said, make friends with your trials. Make friends with your trials, and that constitutes a tremendous effort. Make friends with your trials as if you were to live together always. He says there's nothing that more preserves them, these defects and so forth, than a disquietude and an over-eagerness to get rid of them. If the good saint had been around today, he would have used the expression, don't press. He said, don't be overzealous uh, as far as your spiritual progress is concerned, and God will see to it that your progress is all the more rapid. He said, he further offered the fact that we should hate our defects, but we should hate them with a tranquil. And the word tranquil to me has always had a connotation of an intelligent type of hatred. We should hate, hate him with a tranquil, not a troubled hatred. You know how intense you get when hostility becomes your lot? When you think of your stupidity, when you think of your tendency to do the things time and time again that you're trying so desperately to remove from your life? When you get short-tempered, when you become intolerant, when you become unable to forgive yourself? This is what the sales had in mind. Another wonderful uh, exponent of the, the not pressing, a man who went through much of the same things that you and I go through was this man Augustine. Those of you who have read his confessions and enjoyed that, that marvelous and profound uh, uh, book, remember that this man perhaps had the sum total of the problems in this particular room. I don't know whether Red was a, an alcoholic or not, but all the rest of it, uh, 
uh, he had and in a large measure. And he wanted most desperately to have his relationship with God an improved type of conscious uh, relationship, contact with God. And he worked diligently to this end and obviously prayed very, very sincerely and very, very uh, convincingly as far as uh, he was concerned. And not uh, much uh, occurred. He still continued to fall prey to the idiosyncrasies and the stupidities and frailties, foibles that were part of his life. But he says in his confession, something that I've utilized in my particular life and some that, something that's been utilized in a lot of lives that we've talked it over so much to Hazelden. He said, I no longer think in terms of elimination of my defects. I think in terms rather of control, a priceless lesson actually, a priceless lesson. Now what so happened, and this is going to fall with a, with a, with a shock to my wife, it so happened that I had six major defects in my life. She always uh, sort of harbored the idea that I was a living doll. I had six major defects in my particular life. All of these six I still retain, still retain, to a very, very great degree, a very painful degree at times, three of these. Three of them have been almost eliminated, but the other three I no longer think in terms of elimination, I think rather in terms of control. Almighty God has indicated that these can be controlled, that these lend themselves to certain defenses uh, he's uh, 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 developed in my particular life. I use these controls and life goes on a pace, life goes on very, very beautifully. But I no longer think with insistence that these are going to be eliminated, I no longer look to the participation of this life in the, in the field of alcoholism as justification for these being eliminated, the fact that I pray a couple times a day, the fact that my church attendance is something to be marveled at, all this sort of stuff, meaningless, absolutely meaningless. But I know that this man, Jacobson, with the equipage that he presently possesses, that he that will continue to be his so as long as he augments it, that he is forever going to have a control over these things but that he better make it a part of his daily effort, and he better make it a part of a continuing effort if this thing is going to continue to remain stark reality in his life. Then also our relationship with our fellow men, made amends at one time, just a one-time thing. You and I are involved with all mankind. We are our brother's keeper, whether we like it or not. You and I are expected to make a living thing out of this memory, out of this golden rule, not just anything we commit to memory. Then you and I continue this program, and this should have been the tip-off for us, that there was going to be a lot of effort involved. We continue to take our inventory. You notice there's no qualifying words around that word continue, not a single one. We don't continue until such a time as our physical health is superb. We don't continue until, until such a time as our mental equipment is returned or capacity to function the way we want it. We don't continue for two months, three months, or an equal number of years. We continue for the remainder of our lives, period. We take our inventory when we're wrong, because a life that at one time became unmanageable is no life with which to adopt the attitude, look, ma, no hands. You and I continually have to keep a sharp watch a very rigid type of surveillance, a very intelligent type of vigilance on this life that at one time we permitted to become unmanageable. And then in the 11th step, which happens to be my favorite of all the steps, where we continue to seek through prayer and meditation and improvement of our conscious contact with God as we understand it. And then they actually spell it out, seeking the knowledge of His will and the power to carry that out. What an obligation. We seek we see. Nobody ever engaged in the search as a matter of just a caprice again or just a matter of, of, of thinking it was going to be a matter of just minutes or days. When you go to search for anything, you propose to put the intelligence to it. You propose to put the, the things that are required in that search. Make that an integral part of it. You think of it in terms of being a time-consuming thing. You don't think in terms of sudden instantaneous discovery. No, the very word uh, proclaims that it's going to be something involving effort and intelligence. We seek, and this too, as I said on the occasion of the second and third step, this is the story of a man's life. I don't care whether it's alcoholism is his problem or uh, uh, any other problem that confronts mankind. Man seeks for reality. Man seeks for the greatest blessing of all, the blessing of reality. 
man seeks and seeks and seeks and no man ever reaches the day when he can say that my relationship with my God is status quo. This is exactly the way I want it. It, uh, it requires nothing more from me. Uh, this, this suffices me for the remainder of, uh, of my days. We seek through prayer and meditation to improve and it has to be a conscious contact. And no man, unless you, uh, you have something that I, I don't have, no man, no man ever walks through a day and thinks of it as having any semblance of reality unless there is this constant seeking for a conscious contact with Almighty God. God has to be very real to us. He has to walk with us. We have to be able to apply the yardstick of his approval to the possible solution to all our problems and so forth. And then as a result, we hope to become participants in this spiritual type of awakening. And again, we're faced with these words. It's funny that nobody makes a study of the words of AA. A spiritual awakening. What is an awakening? At least in my life, I hope it isn't a sudden roast. I, I, I never think of awakening as something in which I'm suddenly startled out of sleep. An awakening, the most pleasant, the most meaningful, the most healthy type of awakening, is a gradual dawning in the consciousness of the new day and how fine everything is and what lies ahead of me and potentiality and possibilities, so forth and so on. A spiritual awakening is something that continues for the remainder of our days. This is actually what we seek for. We seek it as a result of these steps. Remember, this isn't a suggested deal. All these things, I relate them on the basis of a personal approach to them, of course. But you and I don't make a sudden acquisition out of these things. As a result of the application of these steps, diligently, thoughtfully, in our lives, day after day, unremitting toil, if you will, but the most productive type of toil, of course, in which a man can indulge, the return to reality, the fulfillment, the, 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 the bringing into the play these remarkable talents that the alcoholic possesses, the great endowment that's a very, very patent in the life of all alcoholics. I've never met a stupid alcoholic, actually. This is quite a statement. I've had some 1800, 1800 lives in my particular kind of experience. 1800. I have yet to meet a stupid alcoholic. I've met some of them that promise to make a lie out of this. But actually, when you get the cosmoline of chronic and acute alcoholism often, they have these talents, these capabilities, these capacities that, that I speak of. I speak of uh, advisedly on all of them. And we, so we undergo this thing that gradually develops into a spiritual type of awakening. And this is something, too, that we revitalize daily, each morning of our life. We should awaken to the realization that the spiritual awakening is going to be the focal part of this day. But it will be a focal part of this day, and we will practice these principles in all our affairs, and we will develop an ability to carry this message to other alcoholics. We will live the optimum type of life. We will see to the fulfillment of our life that God gave us these lives to be lived. We will express the gratification that we feel for these vast endowments of our life if our life begins each day with a revitalization of these truths that add up to a spiritual awakening this particular day. I have been trying to think, but I'm sure that it fails me entirely. I've never met a more wonderful audience to talk to. Thank you and God bless all of you.